It's Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom. I decided to book a last minute flight and I went to New York City to see my son. He's 25. He's an artist of all kinds, on canvas, on wood, on cement, on the outsides of buildings. And he's made a name for himself, which is completely baffling to me if I think back in time. And I'll tell you why. I'm a mother of five, as I'm sure I've told you before. And as we all were crazy back then, we had our kids involved in multiple activities that involved tons of carpooling. And one of his activities, and I say one, was soccer. This kid was on every freaking team there was. I mean, to the point where they took him to Australia. They took him to England. He was on all the state teams. He was just that good that he wanted to go pro. And, you know, what parent is going to squash their kid's dream from the time they're six until the time they graduate high school? You're never going to say, do you know that only a half of 1% of all these kids are going to make it in any way, shape, or form in the sport of their choice? No, you're not going to say that. So you go along for the ride. (laughs) That's what we did. In fact, I'm one of the two that did a whole lot of the driving. So through all those years of buying cleats, uniforms, shin guards, watching him in the net, praying to God every game that if he could just let my son's team win, I would turn around and do a mitzvah for somebody else. You know how we bargain on the sidelines with God to try and let our kids have some achievement or win something that's going to stroke their egos? We all do it. But I did this for years, from the age of six until the age of 18. I was at every game, every game I could be. I remember one game in particular when he was in his senior year of high school. I wanted to go to the concession stand, and I walked behind the net where he was. And, you know, standing back there, And seeing that view of my kid inside the net and realizing how big that net had gotten from the time he was six until now varsity high school and watching, I stood there right in the middle behind him, but he was up a little further and watching four guys running at him and he was crouched, you know, ready to tackle whatever. And damn it, that's what he did. He took all four of these huge guys out. He just took them out. And I was like the deer caught in the headlight, frozen in place, scared to death. I didn't know if I could walk, move, breathe. I started hyperventilating. I thought to myself, this has got to be the last game I ever go to. How does he do this? How have I done this and not seen it from his perspective? Holy shit. I have trouble if somebody just bumps into me in a department store. These were four grown-ass men that almost ran him over, and instead he put one leg out and one arm out, and boom, down on the ground they went. And he saved the ball. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that turned into a full-ride scholarship. Yes, a college wanted him because he knew how to play in the net. He was the keeper. But you know, the whole time that he was playing soccer, 
I'd say from the time he was in fifth grade, he came home with a picture once that he made, and I looked at it, and I did a double take. And I said to him, honey, where did you learn how to do this? You know, like, I'm the mom. How come I don't know you could do this? It looked like a little Picasso picture that a fifth grader made. And I asked him, do you know who Picasso is? He said, no. And I went and I opened up Google and I showed him pictures that Picasso did. And then I showed him Escher, M.C. Escher. And all of a sudden, this kid got so involved in art, he just loved it. And in his spare time, which was very slight, I mean, he was always on a field somewhere playing baseball, soccer, football, basketball. He was always, always into sports, but he was always with a notepad and a pen or a marker, and he was always doodling and drawing. Oh, and his major in college was art. Who do you know that's an athlete and an artist at the same time? Try being that child's mother. You don't know if you're coming or going. You don't know who you're talking to half the time. Is it the creative genius behind the paintings? Or is it the athlete who thinks he's all that? So many egos within one child. One of five, let's not forget. So now, as he went to college on this full ride, he becomes so involved in art that he decides he doesn't want to play soccer anymore. And I've heard of this happening. Burnout. You know, it happens to some of our kids where they just OD on whatever they've been so involved with within the years. And I said, fine, do what makes you happy. What else can you do? At this age, these kids are 21, 22. You can't tell them what to do because they'll just argue, fight back and do it even worse. So he gave up soccer and he delved headfirst into art. Sidebar, several times in his high school years, I would have to rescue him, for lack of better words, from the police because he would have a spray can of paint in his hands and be caught spraying a dumpster or spraying a tree or a sign with his tag. That's all he wanted to do was put his tag on something. He was fascinated with spray paint. Well, we finally got him past that stage and we kept him out of jail. (laughs) And it was a mini nightmare because he was so willful and he still is, but he's channeled things differently. I think that's what we have to remember in our brains while we're going through torture, that eventually these torturous children will channel properly. If they have good parents that set great examples and talk them through and look them eye to eye, and ask them to please just listen halfway. Maybe the other half will catch up in five years, right? So I think that's what's happening right now, because what I just saw when I went to New York blew my freaking mind. I saw him graffiti the outside of a building and get paid for it. Who knew? (laughs) And can I tell you, it was absolutely remarkable. And this whole crew of people that were at this event, it was all in Bushwick, New York, this first event. All artists, all people that are involved in that kind of world, 
there was an indoor exhibit where he had his paintings, framed paintings, drawings, and he was commissioned to work outside and cover the building at the same time. Everyone that met me came up to me and put their arm out and shook my hand and told me what a stellar kid I gave birth to, that this kid is inspirational. He has changed their lives. They are all together as one because my son is the one that told them their greatness exists and they need to express themselves. So all of the things that I said to my kid that he halfway listened to, the other half made it. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) Talk about turning this into it's all about me. But no, seriously, kidding aside, I was so proud to hear these people talk about him like this. He is their go-to guy. It's remarkable. I watched him scale a building. He had a ladder. He stood on the very top of this tall ladder, took another foot and put it on one of the bricks that just happened to be sticking out of the building and took the spray can with his right hand and leaned. Oh, my God, if you have any idea. I mean, you know how you feel when your kid is in danger. Well, I went up to that ladder and I held on to the bottom of it and I would have caught him if he fell. I knew it would kill me. You know, because he weighs 210 and I'm like 130, but at least I'd soften the blow. That's what you do as a mom. And at the same time, I prayed to God, again, as I used to on the sidelines, don't let him fall because I don't want to die yet. (laughs) But if you could just have seen the job he did, it's his own tag. It all comes down to his tag. He repeats his tag over and over And he does layer upon layer in different colors. And then he throws paint and he splatters paint and he makes these designs with teeth and monsters. And wow, wow. I saw it when he was little, but I had no idea it would evolve into this. Do you have a kid that you saw maybe working a math problem that was way beyond their years when they were six or seven years old, and now they're an accountant or a mathematician or an actuary. These are the things that we think we know, but we really don't. How our kids will grow up and what they will become is always a mystery. And it doesn't mean it's going to stick because truthfully, I've changed careers several times, and I'm in my 50s, I'm still thinking of changing. So that was one of the impressive parts of my trip to New York City. We walked all over the city. I went to Little Italy. I went to Canal Street. I went to Midtown. We were uptown. We were in Soho. But I want to tell you a funny, funny story. When I first got to Kennedy Airport, I was taking public transportation to meet up with him at this art exhibit in Bushwick. And if you know Brooklyn, Brooklyn is one of the biggest boroughs in New York. It's huge. There are several different parts of Brooklyn. He lives in Gowanus, where he's done mural after mural, and people know his work. All over Brooklyn, they know his work. But I was to meet him at this job in Bushwick. 
not Gowanus. They are 35 miles apart. And I'm starting at JFK, which is God knows how far from either place. I went to get onto the air train, which is something I was looking forward to doing. And when I got upstairs, it turned out the train wasn't running. So I had to go downstairs, catch a bus. And I had no idea where I was going, except I followed my son's directions that he texted to me and prayed once again. Please, God, let me know he's right. (laughs) I don't want to be lost in Brooklyn. It's the one borough out of five that I just don't know that well, being a New Yorker. I ask a random guy, do you have any idea where I'm going to find the L train? Because I just want to double check that my son gave me the right directions. He says, yeah, when you get off at this stop and then you get on this train over here and you take it down, you know, about... 10, 12 stops, then you'll get to the L, you cross over, and you get on, and you go uptown. All right, so it all made sense to me. I knew where I was going. I arrived in Bushwick, saw my son, met his people, loved his artwork, and after all was over, he had his car there. So we got in the car because he needed something to carry his work in, and we're driving to Gowanus, which is about 35 minutes. As we get close to Park Slope, which is near Gowanus, our windows are down. I'm enjoying the breeze. I look out the window. I look directly at this guy. And the guy stops right in his tracks and points at me. And he says, oh, my God, you're the woman that asked me about the L train at JFK today. (laughs) And he continued, how is this happening? This is not possible. I looked at him and I smiled and I said, you just don't know me. These things happen all the time. Enjoy it. And my son takes off and we go. And I'm watching this guy. His finger is still in the air and he's following me with his eyes, with his mouth hanging open. Quite honestly, the odds of that happening are one in a million. It was hours and hours later, met him in one part of town and wound up seeing him again in another part of town, after being in three places. It's next to impossible. But it happened. Those things happen to me all the time. And they happen to my son. And you know, throughout the whole time that day, I still worry. You know, I see how happy he is. I see how he owns the city. I see how he knows his way around. He knows the shortcuts. He's street smart. He's savvy. And yet, I still worry. Like, I don't know if he's being completely upfront, if he's telling me 100% the truth. I worry. I don't know, as a parent, if we ever stop. I wonder if he was a millionaire, if I'd still worry. I think I would. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you worry about your child's mental state, no matter how much money they made? Wouldn't you always be concerned if they were happy or not, or if they were withholding something from you so that you could help, everywhere we'd go. I'm oblivious. I'm telling you, I don't see it. But he would say to me, what is it with you? What is it that you have that attracts men? I almost did a whiplash as I turned and I looked at him like, what the hell are you talking about? He says, every man that passes you has to stare at you. He says, and I stare at them. 
I said, Dylan, I've not seen one man look in my direction. He says, because you're freaking oblivious. I said, I'm looking at the sights. I'm not staring at people as I'm passing them. I don't know why they're looking at me. Is there anything in my teeth? Am I dressed inappropriately? Is something showing? He says, no, oh, it's just you. He says, well, people do it to me too. I said, well, there's your answer. Maybe they're looking at you and not me. He says, no. He says, maybe they're just looking at you because you're with me. (laughs) I love the way he turned that around. I said, yes, we're the dynamic duo. And as we're finishing that chuckle, a man stops and says to the two of us, I just happen to overhear you. You are his mother. And I'm speechless for, you know, one of the rare times in my life. And my son goes, yeah, she's my mom. He says, you are his mother. You are one sexy bitch. You know that you are a hot mama. This is a total stranger. And my son just shakes his head and keeps walking. (laughs) And I run to keep up with Dylan because this man stopped me and was standing right in front of my face. And I sort of waved and said to Dylan, you set that up, didn't you? The next day we went to Governor's Island. I got to take the ferry. Man, I'd been on planes, trains, multiple trains. I'd walked great lengths, great distances. And now I was taking a ferry. I saw the Statue of Liberty standing grandly. I saw the Freedom Tower. I saw Manhattan get little as the ferry pulled away. It's rare that you get to see that. The city is so immense. And then I went to his second show, where once again, stellar. No one had anything but good things to say. And yet, I worry. I don't know if it's just me. There's just something. It's almost like when you look at your kid and you look in their eyes, if you know them well enough, you know when something's wrong or something's off kilter. And even when he smiles, I can see something. But I don't want to bring it up to him because if it's there, it's got to come from him. It can't be from me digging. You know what I mean. Anyway, I had two and a half wonderful days exploring New York City and Brooklyn through my son's eyes. He knows the city so much better than I ever did, and I was there from age 20 on. He's born and raised there, but in Brooklyn only two years, and he knows Brooklyn and Manhattan better than I ever did. He's one of those people that just belongs there. But I think that's what it is. Yes, he belongs there. But he doesn't belong being alone. And that's what I picked up. And that scares me. That scares me for him. Because he's so much like me. And I'm here alone in Dallas. I don't belong alone either. Even though I'm overcoming it. And I'm doing okay, you know, being by myself. But family, it's nice to have one member at least nearby. Just one. And he's got no one, nobody. And I think he's pretending that he's okay with that. 
but he must have asked me five times if I'd consider moving back. And he said it sort of flippantly at first, come on, Ma, you know you miss the city, you know you miss New York, the attitude is so different here than it is in Dallas, you have to admit it. But as he'd say it, yeah, it's the first time in a long time I missed New York. It's not even the city, it's the attitude, the people. I am a New Yorker. I love them. I just love people that speak their mind. Whether it's good or bad, they say it. And you either take it and deal with it or you walk away. But they give you everything. They'll also give you the shirt off their backs. That's the way they are. But I still heard that little voice. It was almost like, Mommy, will you please come move to New York? Please, Mom. And that's the part that I'm having trouble shaking loose of. No, it's not me wishing that he wanted that. It's really what I think I heard subliminally. I went in to see a friend on my way to the airport. And as I came out of the subway, upstairs, I got to the top of the steps. A man who was dressed in a beautiful three-piece suit stopped right there on the sidewalk and asked me to marry him. (laughs) And I just smiled at him because it was the perfect ending to this trip. And it justified what my son had said to me. And I uh, thanked him for asking, but told him I was leaving to go to the airport. (laughs) Any other woman would have said, are you out of your fucking mind? (laughs) Not me. I gave him a polite answer. I went and had lunch with my friend who, after lunch, took me to where I was going to catch a cab. And as we're walking, and I've known this man for 10 years, he says to me, what is it with you? I said, what? He goes, why does every man have to look at you? And I stopped dead in my tracks and I turned and I looked at him and I said, did you talk to my son? (laughs) And he does one of these, what are you, crazy? (laughs) I said, no, seriously. I said, I have not seen one person look in my direction. And and my son said the same thing. And his words to me were, it's because you're freaking oblivious. And I just burst out laughing. How does that happen twice in the same day with the man that I'm such good friends with and the young man who is my son that I love to pieces? How can two people know me that well when I don't even feel like I know myself yet? (laughs) There are just endless possibilities to our lives. We think we know ourselves but we don't. We know fundamental things about ourselves, but there is so much more that we can grab and grasp and become. We're like little mini shooting stars that have sparks flying off of us. We don't even know it. And that was proof. Two men in one day that know me like the back of their hand saw these little shooting sparks hitting all these men that we would walk by, and I didn't see any of it. But they wouldn't make it up because they both said it. And you are probably capable of the same. 
You just don't even know it. You're probably emitting all of this radiance and you're in a cloud in front of your own eyes. So you're just not seeing the glow that's coming from you. It's your aura. Yes, we have an aura. That's what needs to be explored, watered, grown, maintained, and fed. And that's what I learned on my trip to New York. And I am going to go back soon because I still feel that thing. I worry. Sometimes I'm not even sure if it's him I'm worrying about or if it's me being away from him. (laughs) There's another spin for another podcast. Let me go. Thank you for listening once again. If you haven't subscribed to the Sugar Mom Podcast, I'm going to be so mad at you. Just subscribe already. I'm not the type that chases people. Damn. I just want to be there when you wake up Tuesday afternoons and I'll be on your phone. Don't you know by now I don't beg? I ask politely or I'll strongly suggest. See, I think it's a good idea for you to subscribe to the Sugar Mom podcast. How hard is that? And while you're there, leave me a review. You don't like it? Change the freaking channel. Can you tell I've just come back from New York? (laughs) Have a good one. It's Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom. Westwood One Podcast Production.